Welcome to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast, where barbecue Padawan become barbecue Jedi. And now here's your host, Joe Joda Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. You know, as I started to think about doing this podcast, there were certain people that kind of popped in my mind that I wanted to be sure that I got on this podcast. And luckily, this guy said yes. Thankful to have him on the episode today and just hear a little bit about his story and his family's story because it is a pretty cool story. Welcome to the May the Smoke Be With You, Barrett Black, fourth generation pitmaster from Black's Barbecue in Texas. Now, I was going to say, Austin, that's where you're at, correct? Uh, depends on the day. I'm in Lockhart today, uh, but it really just okay. depends on the day. We're a family-owned business with four locations, and you know we're all just hopping around uh, wherever we're needed that day. Yeah, so you're in you're in Lockhart today, and Lockhart is where it all started. It started back in 1932. So tell me That's even right. just kind of the genesis of how this thing started in 1932. Yeah, you weren't alive, right. you know. No. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Uh, but yeah, we're celebrating our 90th anniversary this year, and we're we're so excited to be you know having we've having different parties and stuff. But you know, like. We started back in 1932, which was the middle of the Great Depression, or right at the beginning of it. My great-grandfather was a hard-working man, and he owned some cattle. And some folks from the government tried to come and give him some money and say that, you know, we'll give you some money, but we're just going to have to, you know, kill your cattle right here in the field. But we're just trying to, you know, give you some um some cash to get into the economy. And he that didn't sit right with him because he... he loved his cattle and you know wanted knew there was a way to feed people with it and so not wanting to roll over and just you know suffer through the great depression he decided you know i'm going to do something about it i'm gonna okay so i I want to pause pause for just a second so what you're saying is even in 1932 the government was really stupid Uh, because (laughs) what, what what i heard was they went up to a rancher and said Hey, we've we've got. I see you've got some cattle, sir. Yes, uh, we want to give you some money. Oh, really? Great. Uh, but we're just we're going to kill the cattle and, and leave them to die. I mean, that yeah. was basically basically it. Basically. So the government yeah, hasn't story gotten any told. smarter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All story right. I was told. So he had a friend who uh, owned a building in town, but nobody to rent it, and so they decided, you know, to go into business together. They shook hands and they started a meat market. Uh, right in the middle of Lockhart, uh, a little town, uh, has a beautiful town square, you know, your classic, you know, Western small town square, uh, which is fortunately coming back to life today. But they, you know, started, you know, slaughtering their own cattle, butchering it themselves, selling it. And of course, in the 1930s, there wasn't any refrigeration to speak of, or they couldn't afford it if there was. And so to get some more shelf life out of that meat, because they weren't going to waste a single thing, they decided to smoke it. And they salted it and smoked it. And that's where the barbecue side of Black's Barbecue began. They added some groceries and different things and became one of the largest grocery stores and meat markets in all of Caldwell County, which is the county we're from. It's uh, It grew you know, over the years and uh, fortunately was very, very successful. So. Now, in 1932, were there, were there other folks doing that in the area at all? 
you know, smoking meats and selling them. The, that Central Texas region has such a such a rich history in barbecue. But I mean, were, were there other folks doing it back then? For sure. I mean, the way that we got started is not totally unique. That's how a lot of barbecue joints, even in Lockhart, got started. Um, there's a couple places that still the research refer to themselves as a market there, uh, even though they're just a barbecue, even though they just sell barbecue, they don't sell raw meat anymore, but they still refer to themselves as a market. Um, we, we are the oldest barbecue joint in Texas still owned by the same family. There are some joints that are, the business may be older, but they've been bought and sold by different families. But I'm very proud of the fact that it's my great grandfather who started it in 1932 and my grandparents who perfected it for over 60 years and way before barbecue was cool and dedicated themselves to the craft of really refining and defining what Central Texas barbecue really is today. And now my dad, my brother and I are at the helm standing on their shoulders trying to carry it on and share it with as many folks as we can and get the opportunity to talk to folks like you and you know, share our story. And uh, I was just in Denver this last weekend. We got to sh- cook for 30,000 people there for a barbecue festival in Denver. So wow. it's, yeah, it's just super awesome to, you know, take that history and what started as a, you know, just survival thing and be able to take that across the country and different parts of the world and share that flavor of old school Texas barbecue with folks. You know, what makes the Black family continue to get up and, and want to do this? Like, that's a long time. I mean, now is it just like, oh, it's it's all we know how to do? Or what kind of keeps you guys going and, and wanting to come in and, and do this? Because it's not easy work. Right. Well, it wasn't until maybe the last 10 or 15 years when barbecue really got popular and Food Network really started to care about it. And uh, it became more than just a side thought, I guess, of, of a food. Um, because my grandparents, like my great grandfather did it because he had to, you know, that's just, he was using what he had and started a market to feed mm-hmm. his family. My grandfather came into the business. He took it over from his dad. He thought he was just going to be there for a couple of weeks to, um, you know, let his dad have some time off. But that turned into, you know, over 60 years of him working in the business. And I think mainly it's because he, I think he fell in love with it. He is something that was in, in his blood, and uh, there was also a need there. What kept them in it, though, was um, you know not not because you know it was you know very romantic or cool or anything. It was because uh, he had a lot of health problems and stuff as well, and mm. so he had to take care of himself. Uh, he had to you know that was the only place he could really you know work. And then his wife, my grandmother, you know she was. You know, she's a pit master too. She went through a lot of hardship in the you know the fifties and the sixties, and even still today. You know, there's issues with you know women in the workplace and not getting the respect that they deserve. But you know, she was really at the forefront of that, and she had to run the business for many, many years, and you know, without a lot of help from her husband, uh, just because he was you know had different types of cancers and stuff that he fought through. But it was more just a more of a, again of a survival story. There were many months and years they could barely pay themselves, uh, but yet for some reason, I, you know, they still cared about you know, what the brisket was going to taste like, and you know, let me perfect this as best I can, not only for flavor but for efficiency. You know, we learned from his dad that we're going to not waste a single piece or corner or inch of this brisket or their ribs or their sausage, and I think that's where th- these great recipes were born. It was because of that. My dad and his brother, they 
they were told outright that you will not work in this business. You will <laughs> really graduate from high school. You are wow. you are going to college and you're going to have a professional career because uh, you know it wasn't something they wanted their kids to have to go through. You know they they enjoyed it and they found joy in it. Uh, it's not like they were suffering every single day, um, right. but they they worked their butts off and they wanted the best for their kids and they thought this is not what's best for their kids and but also they couldn't afford to pay them either um, mm. because they were just supporting themselves. My dad, he went to become a lawyer for over 20 years. He did private practice, and then he was a prosecutor for the state, you know, protecting children and men and women in nursing home facilities and that kind of thing. And then when it was time for him to retire, his parents were trying to find a way, you know, out of the business. He thought, well, why don't I take a shot at it? And, you know, he'd been involved here and there and always never totally stepped away, uh, but he thought, well, I'll I've done enough of this lawyer thing. Let me let me let me get full time in the restaurant, and that was probably 15 years ago, and wow. that's about when the the rocket ship was taken off. So my my grandparents really had the you know had positioned us very very well to where we could be a what my dad says an 80 year overnight success story. So after yeah. 80 years, it finally boom you know blew up, and you're fortunate now we could you know support you know many family members, and we're growing. We have 150 employees four locations. And wow. it's it's really great just standing on their shoulders. We're proud to be a part of that. You know, we met, uh, you had catered kind of a backstage thing that I was uh, a part of there in Austin. And I remember kind of talking to you, this was probably seven, seven years ago, I'm guessing. I can't remember exactly. But I think it was your your grandfather who had such a hard time wrapping his head around. And it might've been your great grandfather. I, I don't know when he passed on, but you, you told me the story of one of them just having such a hard time wrapping their head around what had happened in barbecue and just not understanding this, this new school barbecue, these folks who would open up barbecue shops and, or trucks and sell until they were sold out because that wasn't the way he viewed the business at all. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, it's, yeah, my grandfather has passed. He passed a few years ago, but my grandmother is still with us. And yeah, she's mm. still um, like when she found out, you know, I was going to talk to you. She's like, well, why do they want to talk to you or like about the business <laughs> or not me, but like an insult to me, but like about the business, because it's still in her mind as it clicked that what she really dedicated her life to is uh, such a cool and interesting thing and has, you know, changed, you know, Texas barbecue culture uh, forever. But yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, the new school guys and selling out at two o'clock, that's that was really strange to me, too, when I first started happening, yeah. because I was raised with the ideas like you never sell out and you move that line as quick as you can because people are here to eat there. You, yeah. You're here to serve them. It still kind of baffles me. I understand it in some regards, but um, that was part of the dedication to the craft that my grandfather had to figure out a way. How do I never sell out a brisket? And so the way that we cook our brisket even still today, it gets the most flavor out of it. And we we never have to sell out because we do a two a two step cooking method. It takes a cup couple of days for it. So mm-hmm. um, it gives it great, deep, smoky flavor. And, uh, you know, we're never that far away from good brisket. Where do you think blacks, you know, as you look at just the landscape there in, in Lockhart, Austin, that that area, and you just think of blacks. Like, where do you guys where do you guys sit in the the history? And are you a 
you know, you're a legacy brand. Do people, do you feel that you guys get kind of that respect that you, I don't know if you, if you feel like you deserve it, but I mean, do you feel like there's, do you guys get kind of the honor for being that oldest Texas family run restaurant, all those things, you know, you've served presidents, you know, there's, there's a lot of cachet that comes with, with that. Do you, do you guys feel like you get that? I, I think a lot of folks will come eat with us for the first time because we have this long history and tradition that mm-hmm. we are the oldest in Texas, still owned by the same family. And we we do have a lot of people comment about that to us, but that's why they came. But we, we don't rest on those laurels because, you know, that, that helps if that helps us get them in the door once, like awesome. It did its job. But right. we still we never give up on you know and we always know that we need to earn their business every single day that it doesn't matter if we had a great meal five years ago, we need to make sure we're serving a great meal every single day. And so while I'm honored and proud to be part of the, this family and the legacy that got us here, I know that we, we can never stop pushing and preserving what it is that we do. I, I like to cook and I'm like get creative with different things. And I, like it's fun to watch the new school barbecue folks doing lots of interesting things and fusions and stuff like that. And I'll play with that at home or special festivals and mm-hmm. things like that. But I've been thinking a lot in the past few years, like what is our role in the barbecue community today? Because when we first started, like, you know, we were, my grandparents were pioneers. They were inventing this style of Texas, central Texas barbecue. And, mm-hmm. But we are looked to as the, like you said, the one of the oldest, the historical places, that kind of thing. And so we will always serve traditional old school Texas barbecue and preserve that tradition. When somebody hears, you know, Central Texas barbecue, if, if they're not familiar with it, like what are they going to get when they show up at, at Black's? It's going to be different than what they're going to get if they show up just up the road here in Nashville. Like what what's different about you guys? And about just Central Texas, everybody that's doing it right there, the old school way. Well, Texas in general, you know, we spell barbecue B-E-E-F. It's all about the beef. You know, many other places in the country, it's about pork. Uh, no mm-hmm. disrespect to that. And we, we do sell, you know, pork ribs and those kinds of things. But beef is the star of the show for us. It's all about the brisket. In Central Texas, if your brisket isn't great, then, you know, what are you doing? Why, why are you calling yeah. yourself a Texas barbecue joint? Um, and, you know, there's no sauce. So sauce is, you know, very important in a lot of barbecue cultures. But in Central Texas, it's it's on the side. You know, we were open for over 40 years before barbecue sauce was even in the building. It wow. Was, yeah, it was, in, I think, in the 1970s that my grandparents were finally, you know, they, they had a lot of folks from out of state, from up north, who wanted to, uh, they should call them snowbirds and stuff. And they kept asking for, where's the sauce? Where's the sauce? And, you know, uh, her trying to, you know, serve her customers and give them the best experience, she decided, like, well, I'll come up with the sauce, but, you know, we're still just going to serve it on the side. And I, I encourage people like that still today um, like especially when I was in Denver there's a lot of coaching on that they're like do I use sauce it's like just on the side try it both ways first because yeah. it just you know a little tear wells up in my eyes sometimes when they just you know squirt all that sauce right and drown that brisket in there just like oh geez like okay that's fine fine, fine. that makes you happy sure uh, but yeah they, we, we can't hide behind any of it so it's all about the beef uh, it's got to be great without the sauce and the, the type of wood we use. Uh, I'd say that 
the, it's called post oak wood. It's a particular oak that grows in central Texas and kind of goes down to the Gulf and um, is now exported all over the country and the world for people trying to recreate this unique flavor. And mm-hmm. the, that's one of the most defining things of what we do is that post oak smoke. Because hickory is very popular, different parts of the country. Even mesquite is popular out in West Texas. Um, yep. But they, they all just leave just a very different flavor on the meat. And post oak is very unique in that, in my opinion, the more you're able to layer on there, the better it gets. And that's not mm. true for all woods. I feel like I was I was born in the wrong place uh, because I I identify you know so much as a Central Texas barbecue guy you know trying to raise raise my girls the same way just to like beef brisket and to just eat it without the sauce you don't need it if if uh, if Daddy cooks it right we shouldn't need uh, right. shouldn't need that sauce but yeah you're right they're all over the place and that's that's the I think the great thing about barbecues that you can go to different parts of the country taste what their history is uh, the way they've made it for decades and decades mm-hmm. um, but for me central Texas is uh, is always always where it's at maybe that's uh, why we're friends when Joe. Did, <laughs> that, that could be <laughs> what what are your first memories of yourself like cooking? Where, where where do you first like if you remember like this was the first time I remember cooking what what was that? Uh, just cooking in general or at the barbecue or? Yeah, I mean cooking in general and then then barbecue yeah. sure both. I, I think it all, I mean both of I mean stemmed from my grandparents you know here in Lockhart. I, I think one of my favorite memory I still think about all the time. Uh, you know, in the summers, we'd come down and spend time with my grandparents for a week or two weeks at a time, and you know they couldn't always afford a babysitter. So we would just go to the restaurant with them. And that was like a playground for us in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, we would, my sister and I, you know, we would run the drink counter and bus tables and that kind of thing. And just so happy just to have all the soda and ice cream we want. You know, that was great. But <laughs> the, the memories I think about most are sitting on a stool watching and my grandfather trim and season every single brisket or rib. Um, and just he had a little TV where he'd watch the Houston Astros while he was doing it and listen to it. Um, we would just talk and uh, just I think just being near that the, and the smell of the smoke and the black pepper has really stuck with me. So even now when I go to restaurants or if I'm at home, I'll pick up the little uh, pepper shaker and just kind of smell it. It just takes me back to that moment uh, in the back of the kitchen wow. and watching him you know, do his thing and really committed to that. Um, my grandmother really taught me improvisation and probably the, uh, it's a big word for a Texas guy. Uh, Making it up as you go along. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, because I remember she would come home and we'd go to, go to her house after a really long day at the restaurant and you know, they close and stuff. And she would somehow just pick random things out of the kitchen and just come up with this meal and, um, you know, we call my grandmother Grammy. And so even today, you know, I say, oh, it's time for a Grammy meal, where it's just like, we don't have a recipe, but we got a bunch of stuff, just figure it out, puts it together. And uh, that, that's really been a eye-opening experience for me. I thought it was pretty magical when she would do it as a kid. I was just like, how do you do this without a recipe <laughs> or anything? Right. Uh, but with practice and uh, just being inspired by her, it's, it's been a very useful tool in my uh, tool belt as a husband and a father now. <laughs> what were those first times? Like, when did you start really honing that pit master skill of getting in there and understanding the way fire works, 
the way the meat interacts with with the smoke. Uh, what was that like, and and how long were you kind of training, if you will, or you know before you really felt like you you got it? There, there wasn't a whole lot of formal training, or you know, until probably after college, because this was still before you know barbecue was cool, or like I had any idea what I wanted to do. I uh, you know, I graduated from college, uh, moved to Colorado for a few months, and then just decided, you know, I think it's time to move home. And, you know, I was, I was about to propose to my then girlfriend and decided, you know, why don't I go to work for the family restaurant, you know, for, you know, six to nine months. And, you know, my grandparents are still working and I just learned straight from them. And then I'll get my quote, real job, wherever that may be. Yeah. And, I think it was just working alongside my grandfather again as an adult and my grandmother too that it just kind of got stuck in my blood and it's now been 13 years uh, that I've been working in the business but my I'm very thankful my grandfather very intentional about you know I didn't get any special treatment necessarily as far as you know I, I had a schedule I had to clock in clock out I didn't get paid you know anything crazy um, mm-hmm. I you know, I started again washing tables and cleaning bathrooms and giving people drinks and then slowly got to move to the different positions. And I think working in the pit room was the last thing I got to do and the last mm. thing he trained me on because he wanted to make sure I knew everything else and didn't just jump straight to that, the, the sexy part, the romantic part of barbecue, you know. Mm-hmm. And it probably took at least a couple of years for all that training and um, I'm re- really glad he did. I- I'd say I, you know, mastered the, the smoker here, but you know, you're. St- I'm still even today learning how fire works with you know, in all different situations and sure. uh, instances and types of grills and things like that. Uh, my wife gives me a hard time because our back patio is full of like seven or eight different types of grills, and uh, I do use them. And uh, I like the challenge of figuring out how to use them. And it's it's something that it's I guess it's a hobby. But now I got a four and a half year old son. You know, I love doing it with him, and you know, challenging myself to cook briskets on things you're not supposed to cook briskets on necessarily, and seeing if I can get a good one out of it. Uh, so you mentioned you have four and a half year old son. Uh, you've got a wife. I've guessed you guys have been married about uh, you said thirteen years in the restaurant, so eleven, twelve years, I guess, for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just one kid. Uh, yeah, one boy and one on the way, uh, coming in All just right, a few congratulations. months. Congratulations. Yep. So All right. Fifth generation is, uh, is here. He's got, That's right. uh, our second boy will be uh, number seven in the fifth generation. So there's a, he's got a lot of cousins and stuff. So. All uh, right. So there's, there's some opportunity there. Yes, for sure. So who, uh, who kind of takes that responsibility? You mentioned the pit room being that romantic place. It's the place of honor and a, especially in a legacy barbecue establishment like Black's, uh, you know, who, who kind of trains that next, you know, those next people that take over the pit and, uh, you know, the people that you have in there now, how long have they been with you? And, uh, what's, what's that look like day to day for the operation? Well, we're very fortunate to have, you know, a handful of staff have been with us for over a decade. Mm. You know, that, that certainly helps. Um, but it's, a it's a team, it's a team effort. The, you know, we've got a crew that gets here at four o'clock in the morning and they are, 
you know, getting the fires going. They're, you know, checking the meats that we're cooking overnight. They're uh, making the sausage and all that. And then we have our called a pit crew and they're the ones responsible for getting everything ready for the customers up front and so they'll finish off the briskets the sausage the ribs and the turkey and all that you know make sure we're open by 10 o'clock in the morning we're always trying to train other folks on how to do it it's it's not necessarily like a big secret but we don't have any you know video training or anything like that it's with any smoker it just takes time to get to know it to you know Mm -hmm takes probably about a year to really master that smoker because every day is a little bit different. How's the wood you're using? How's the, um, the weather outside affecting it? The different sizes of the meats coming in. And there's just so many nuances. And I like to tell people there's nothing real complicated about what we do, but there's a lot of details that you've got to get right on that. Yeah. And, and just that repetition, that practice, those are the things, you know, those, the guys that go out buy their first brisket and expect it to taste like what they tasted at Black's are probably a little, little uh, misled in their, uh, in their desire because that it's, it's pretty rare. If you do that on your first time out, that's just called luck uh, (laughs) because it it takes, it takes a lot of practice for sure. Yeah. Uh, most popular questions I get from people are, you know, what's the secret to what you do? Like, seriously, there's got to be one thing or whatever that you just, you just tell me and I can cook better brisket. It's like, well, if you really want to know, the, the secret is you got to start with a lot of bad brisket first. You know, that just yeah. needs, you got to just start doing it and make mistakes and learn from it and just keep trying. I mean, that, that's, that's how we've done it. We've, been doing it for 90 years, so we've got a pretty good process, but uh, I, I just try to encourage, I'm just like, you're, you're, if you've cooked a bad brisket, you're, you're on the right track. Just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. For Black's Barbecue, you guys said you had four locations. Where, where are you guys at right now? You're in Lockhart still in Austin. Mm-hmm. And then we have one in San Marcos and New Braunfels, so just right up and down okay. the Interstate 35 in the corridor. All right. Any plans to expand that further? Uh, I mean, we're, we're we plan to be a you know family-owned business forever. We don't plan to have a hundred locations or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Our latest location, New Braunfels, just kind of came to us an opportunity that came to us, not one we were looking for. And so we've still got our eyes and ears open. And if the right place, the right time comes available, then we'll we could do it. Uh, but no, no, no major plans to expand super big. We. We do ship our barbecue across the country, and so that's kind of like another location because it's a, you know it takes mm-hmm. its own staff and its own little production schedule. Uh, but and we are growing catering as well, so those are kind of our uh, other locations too. So it's just fine to find ways to share that barbecue with as many folks as we can. How often are you getting you know, called out or requested to go to those barbecue festivals like you were just up in in Denver at a big food festival uh, is that pretty often could you be gone every weekend would somebody have blacks barbecue pretty much everywhere uh, if you wanted to yeah if they if they wanted <laughs> if we wanted to yeah we could definitely if you uh, wanted to right yeah 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 exactly uh, but we kind of pick and choose the ones that uh, you know are not, not only good for the business but good for good places to travel to as well. So yeah, be picky. Yeah you, yeah. you don't need to go to the little ar- armpits of this country, which there are some, we won't, won't name them, but you know, you get, there's, there's places you don't necessarily want to visit. Right, right, uh, right. You know, what, what keeps 
keeps you going? Like, do you have, do you have some folks in your life, some mentors, like who, who do you go to for advice? You're in a family run business. So obviously you spend a lot of time around family, but uh, that there's got to be some challenges to that too. So who do you, when you need some advice, who do you go to? Oh man. I mean, that's always a, a tough one for me because my, you know, outside of family, it's, it is tough. And, uh, you know, the phrase that it's lonely at the top, it does kind of ring true sometimes where it's just like, you know, you feel kind of lost and um, not sure who to talk to. Do you end up going to your, to your, to your dad a lot for, for advice, you know, professionally, personally, or is it just, you know, proximity, it's easy to go to? Yeah. Yes. My, my dad is, is very involved, you know, with, with that kind of stuff. Uh, I've got a great community in my, at my church uh, that, that I talk with a group of, group of men that it's kind of nice that they're, they're not in the restaurant business. <laughs> and so yeah. it's, uh, gets a lot of, gives me a lot of perspective on some things where it's just like, Oh, that's not as big a deal as I was making it out to be. Possibly there are other problems in the world. Uh, yeah, I'm always reading a lot, a lot of leadership books and business books and entree leadership has been very powerful as well, uh, for me. I mean, uh, just, you know, being around people who have been there before, or even if it's not in the restaurant business or in the barbecue business, you know, there can be almost stronger lessons for people who are not directly involved mm-hmm. in that type of business because it gives a very different outlook on things. Yeah. What's home life look for you? Like when you get home, are you are you wanting to cook? Or are you just, are you, uh, are you done? You said you do have seven grills out back, smokers. <laughs> uh, or are you just always attracted to just creating food in some way? At home, uh, first my my work boots stay in the car. I don't bring those inside. <laughs> don't track the grease and the smoke smell into my into my yeah. house. Uh, you, it, you probably smell enough like smoke. Uh, you know, you probably shower is probably the first thing I imagine. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I do love to cook. I do love to learn about cooking. I don't do barbecue necessarily every day when I get home. Sure. Uh, the grills aren't always fired up, but it's, you know, I do a lot of blending of like new school and old school sort of things or just try to push the envelope on stuff where I'm honoring our past and uh, but looking toward the future for some recipes. And I've come up with some really great like meaty barbecue desserts and things. And th- that's just mm-hmm. happened for me just kind of playing around in the kitchen at my house. Um, yeah. Uh, I do try to push the envelope as well with vegetables because I've, I feel very confident in meat, but I'm trying to at home master, you know, how do I do more with, with less as far as the, you know, with brisket, you know, once you know how to do a brisket, it's easy to just get that punch of flavor and, you know, just wow factor and yourself and your friends and stuff. But how do you also do that with vegetables and things that, uh, you know, it's not as, not as cool, I guess to say on a barbecue podcast, but, uh, I know I love that challenge. Like how to use less oil and more vegetables or grains and that kind of thing, but still, you know, get myself and other people excited about it. I think I found a few good things here and there, but, uh, it's, it's a fun challenge. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, as much as you may or may not like a big slab of brisket, you can't eat that every day, all day. That's, <laughs> That's right. not a recipe for for a long life. No, uh, no, 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 no. But I, I do not. I you, don't get tired of bar, our barbecue, but I like I nibble on it every day, but I don't eat a full meal of it every day. Now you said you guys are celebrating ninety years this year, thirty two mm-hmm. uh, to twenty twenty two, and your grandmother is how old? Is she ninety? 
she just turned 90 as well. Okay. So she was, she was born in, in 32 uh, mm-hmm. as well, which is, it's cool celebrating 90 years for, for both of them. What kind of celebrations are you guys doing this year to, to, to honor that 90 year mark for the, for the restaurant? Uh, well, just about a month ago, we had, had a huge party here in Lockhart with um, you know, a bunch of live music. We, I was out there cooking a whole hog. Uh, we, we did a you know, brisket class for everybody. And this was free for the, the whole community to come out. It was, you know, just a whole day of uh, just, I don't know, fun and food and celebration. We we had the mayor come out and he proclaimed uh, that day uh, the original Black's Barbecue Day, which is pretty cool. And um, Absolutely. So we, we had over a thousand people here in person for that and just a great amount of support online. And people are sending letters and, you know, telling us about their stories of, you know, their first experience of coming in. And it's I don't know, it, it's been a lot of fun. We, we're not sure. We're going to have some other, smaller versions of that at our other locations. But just to keep celebrating that, we're going to try to you know, record some more of the stories and come up with some more videos to kind of tell more of our history and preserve that, too. Uh, we're, we're not professional event planners or anything like that, but we're, uh, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> sure. I mean, you got, you got to focus on, on what's important, and that's continuing to produce some, uh, some great barbecue. Right. Uh, the, parties will ta- the parties will take care of themselves. You know, you guys... You guys know how to throw a party, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, has there ever been, you know, my wife wanted me to ask this of people that, that we kind of have on the, the podcast of, of just a time that it just all went wrong uh, for you, like barbecue, just that kind of blooper story, that thing that was like, uh, if I could forget that, I would. <laughs> oh, man. Or is it just all good for the blacks? No, you know? definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Uh, it's just hard to choose which one, you know. There's been a lot of instances. See, I mean, the most recent one that kind of still kind of scarred me is uh, we we went to Denver last September for a barbecue festival. And, you know, this was still when COVID was going on and everything. And my catering manager was... Uh, he was there with me and, you know, he was helping me run the festival and stuff. And, um, the very last day when we're just starting to clean up and he's like, Barry, I don't feel so good. And oh no. This, this other guy too said he didn't feel good. And, you know, they were really dragging. And so they went and got tested and, uh, for enough, they, they tested positive for COVID. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, you know, they didn't have to go to the hospital or anything, but the, the yeah. reason why it's not just that, but. Three days later, we were supposed to be back in Texas to serve about six thousand people for the University of Texas, the the new the new University of Texas presidential inauguration. And my catering manager was the one who had all that information in his head and had all that nicely planned and everything. And so that fell in my lap. And so I mm-hmm. you know, immediately landed in Austin, went straight to the restaurant. I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. And um, you know, fortunately, we have a great team and uh, we have to put it all together, but there's just a lot of days and you know, a lot of hours and late nights. It's just like, I'm so tired and I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but we just got to put it together and figure it out. And fortunately, the team came together and did figure that out um, because then just a few days after that, we had the Austin City Limits Music Festival. We we're going to be a vendor at oh, wow. too. And that was also my catering manager's main thing. So that was me just a couple of weeks of just trying to drag everything out of his covid sick head. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he was stuck at a hotel quarantining uh, away from his family. You know, but we, we, we got through it. I'm glad we did because it was, uh, you know, some very important moments and things to be a part of. 
with a name like Blacks, there also just has to be this additional pressure to produce every single day. You know, those you mentioned it's your restaurant every day is filled with first timers, folks that are coming there because you're you're a legacy barbecue uh, operation and you've got to be good every single day. Uh, And those experiences have to be good. Uh, What do you do to keep the team with that front of mind that they remember that each day they're creating kind of that first blacks experience for a lot of people, even though they're just selling another half a pound of brisket to another person or another, you know, three links of sausage and another chicken, you know, it's like, there's some new experiences there. For sure. You know, the way that we do it is I don't see a whole lot of places, but the way, way that we serve is, I guess, meat market style. It's what I like to call it, where, you know, folks, it's kind of like quick serve counter service, kind of the modern way of saying it. But people come up to the counter and we've got our butcher blocks. Some of them we have are you know, 50, 60 years old and we're cutting the meat right there for them and putting it on the butcher paper. And uh, so they're seeing exactly what they're getting. That's one thing I love about it. And that's what I teach my team is that, you know, we want that person that's right there in front of you to get exactly what they want, even though Mm. they may call it something different or, you know, just if they point to a certain part of the brisket and they say that's what they want, you know, give it to them. Um, But if you're slicing something and you wouldn't feed it to your friends or yourself or you wouldn't want to pay for it, you know, put that to the side and let Mm. ask a manager about it later. You know, we... Our goal is, you know, we know that we don't cook every single brisket perfectly, but every brisket we serve should be perfect mm. because, wow. you know, we'll, we'll find a use for that brisket that got a little bit overcooked or something. You know, that's where chopped brisket sandwiches come from. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's but, uh, you know, every brisket we serve should be absolutely perfect for that customer. And we try to give them a lot of, I guess, decision making in that regard to where we're, we're not pressuring them to sell off as much as possible or be super, uh, we want them to be efficient, but if there's something that's not great, we're not going to try to sneak something in there. Right. That money you might save by serving those three slices of brisket that just, you, you really, that, that slicer knows that doesn't look great, but I'm going to go ahead and serve it. I mean, that, that customer never comes back. That customer doesn't have a good experience. So let's, let's sacrifice that Let's make some chopped brisket. Let's make some chili. Let's do something else. And uh, and let's make sure they have a great experience. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're always preaching the long term. Yeah. I think so often people are looking for that short term, looking for that what are the sales today, pushing the people through, uh, whatever it takes. And and that's a reason that you guys have been there for, for 90 years. And I'm sure that's something that your grandfather and great grandfather would have done the same way as, as you guys today. Right. For sure. Um, I mean, that's kind of how our sausage recipe was born. When my grandfather took over the business, you know, sausage was just made with whatever meat was not selling at the meat market. And so when my grandfather came over and uh, the butcher from the meat market came to him, says like, Oh, this is about to go, go bad. You know, we're just, just throw it in the sausage. It'll be fine. Nobody will notice. And it's just like, Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> that if we're not going to put in the sauce, so- if it's not good enough to serve the customer, it's not good enough to put in the sausage. And that's really, I think, one of the powers behind why, what makes our sausage so unique. Because now it's a, you know, he standardized that recipe, and the only meat that goes in there is trimmings from our brisket. Because we have to trim that brisket to a certain shape and size, and so only those brisket trimmings are what go in our brisket, and then a little bit of pork, which comes from our pork ribs as well. And so it's that really caring about the quality and not 
you know, taking shortcuts that I, you know, I still remind myself and try to remind our staff today that that's what got us here and that's what's going to keep us going. There, there is something about a Texas sausage as well. I tell you, you guys just, you just know how to do it right. It's just, it's so, so good. I need, I need to get to Texas soon. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to read something to you that that you wrote yourself. And h- how often are you on LinkedIn, Barrett? Probably never, is my guess. Not much. No, it's, it's, been, it's, been, been, a it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. and so. But I, I, I wanted to read, this is what you wrote uh, for your LinkedIn bio. Uh-oh. And uh, I saw this and I, and, and I really liked it. It's a desire to help others and myself reach full potential while living out what God has in store according to his word, using my adventurous, curious, logical, and creative spirit. How, how, does, how does that play out for you day to day? Um, with the team, with your family, yeah. How does that play out? Well, I I, I see myself like every day. I'm, it feels like I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Meaning, I'm trying to raise up other staff members to be successful, and that's kind of my main focus and my main job. Not because I'm trying to be lazy or not work myself, but because the more good people I have around me and the more qualified they are, the more than I can do and the business can do, the more they can do for themselves and grow. And that's really where a lot of satisfaction has come from this job is, you know, not all the, there's been many great things I've gotten to do personally and gotten to travel and, you know, some awards and things like that. But it's the, the biggest thing is, you know, seeing other people grow and get promoted within our company. I guess the adventurous side and curiosity and that kind of thing is, I guess, helped me win a few uh, cooking competitions where uh, some things that we don't traditionally do or you know took some chances and went up against some pretty big chef names in the Austin area, which like I'm not a chef, I'm a barbecue guy. So it felt really strange to be there. To, it's like, why did they invite some barbecue guy to be here uh, with right. these folks, but uh, these guys and gals, but it, it uh, actually won one of them, which was pretty fun. Uh, and I didn't win the first time, but it was it was fun to just keep competing and then eventually win and go cook in New York City. And I think it's just because of that, that curious, adventurous side that uh, I guess kept me going. And like those, like I was telling you about, you know, that, that rough time with, you know, when my caring manager got COVID and stuff like that, there was a lot of prayer. <laughs> After that, it was just like, God, help me get through this. Or just, I trust that everything's going to be all right. It won't be perfect, but I know you've got me and everything's going to be okay. So there's a lot lot of different ways that those things work into my life. What's uh, what's next for Black's Barbecue and for you personally? What's kind of next that you want people to know about? Hmm. What's next? Um, It's it's hard to say say right now because we're... You know, just like everybody else, we're just getting kind of our feet back under us after the the last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we survived, you know, very fortunate the way we survived through it. But uh, right now we're kind of uh, not taking it easy, but not pushing, you know, to expand or anything too far. Uh, because, you know, we, we did so much pushing just to adapt to what we had to and survive the last couple of years. We're just kind of, mm-hmm. okay, let's take a breath. And, you know, let's refine and get back to, quote, normal and figure that out again. So we're, you know, we, we don't make a lot of changes or a lot of decisions very quickly. You know, that's how we got to be here for 90 years. But, you know, we 
every day it's it's a it's a battle it's a fight to to win those customers and you know we compete against ourselves to make sure we have better brisket today than we had yesterday and you know always always solving problems that's the restaurant business you're always solving problems always always so a couple a couple quick questions this is kind of just more just for fun you know what what kind of music do you listen to barrett Ah oh, man, it's it's a wide range. Um, <laughs> it depends it depends on the day. I mean, I I'm, I'm a Texas boy. I like a lot of country and that kind of stuff. But I would have been shocked if it was something else. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you are you old school? Or are you new school? Or are you Florida Georgia Line? Or are you George Strait? Uh it's it's George Strait, man. It's it's hard to beat. Okay. I mean, it, right. I, I took a break from it from a long for a long time, and then my, my parents got me tickets to a concert he had in Austin. I was just like, man, that takes me back. That feels good. <laughs> like, That's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw George Strait. I uh, my thirteen year old. She's she's now she's now fourteen. Loves George Strait. Like is yeah. the the biggest George Strait fan that I that I know knows everything about him George and Norma their sons and uh, you know their kids and the grandkids names and everything uh, but yeah. we saw saw them down in Little Rock saw him in Little Rock and it was it was an amazing show right so good right. and he, a- I mean he played you know what two and a half hours something like that and still didn't play all of his hits right. walked away going he didn't play, he didn't play that one oh man Yes. Uh, all right. So you, you you like George Strait? Anything else you you like to listen to? Uh, King's Kaleidoscope. They're kind of a, a Christian. I don't know how to define them. Kind of rock, pop kind of music. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll have to look at them. So if uh, if you're cooking, cooking at home, just kind of chilling. What what are you drinking? My son and I actually just got into brewing, so we started uh, brewing our own beer. Uh, so okay. uh, yeah, I've made a, a lemon drop IPA. That's great in the summer. Uh, I've made a Shiner Bach clone. Uh, that, that's pretty close. Did you say to your it. son? So your four and a half year old son and you? Yeah. He doesn't drink the beer. He drinks the, okay, I was... <laughs> <laughs> he brews with me. He's part of my brew crew. Uh, um, Hey, that's great. Cheap yeah. labor. I like it. Right. But he loves it. And he gets to drink the, the sweet wort, you know, what it is, the liquid before it becomes beer. And uh, nice. you know, he's learned about plumbing, electricity, and, you know, the grains and that kind of stuff. But uh, no, he's not drinking the beer, but he loves the, there's just so many aspects to it. that I'm learning that it's fun to teach him, you know, the science and stuff of it. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Uh, when, when you're not cooking, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, mountain biking uh, with my kid or I don't know, what else do we do? And my son just told me, you know, for Father's Day to celebrate, he wants, I want to go mountain biking and golfing with you. I was like, okay, let's do it. So it's a lot, right. a lot of time with my boy. I, I love him so much. That's great. Uh, is there is there something you've not cooked that you want to cook? Um, I, I don't know much about cooking bison or buffalo. That, that's that's what I want to learn more about. Is uh, okay. I know it's a real popular American food, but meat that's uh, similar in a lot of ways to beef. Uh, but mm-hmm. Uh, I want more experience with that. Yeah. Sounds like it could could be a special, maybe, you know, like a Thursday, you might just run out some, some bison ribs or something. I, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Who yeah we try, the, the, we've tried specials in years past, but we just get our customers, most of them, they're just like, oh, that sounds so interesting, but I'm here for the brisket. That's really why I'm here. Yeah, that's <laughs> ch- yeah it's like, I don't blame you. It's Which fine. is what I would probably do. If I showed up, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's like, why oh, I said, like, we're committed yeah. to... Um, you know, be preserving the old school barbecue ways because you know that's why yeah. people come to us is for that. That's and so right. We're gonna stick to that. 
you know, I have to ask, you know, may the smoke be with you. We have uh, we have some love of Star Wars. Uh, did you grow up a Star Wars fan? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember What's, I wore those VHS tapes out. Which uh, which movie is your favorite? Um, what is it? The Empire Strikes Back. That's my favorite. Yes. Yeah, when they're on I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I, yes, the ice planet, the 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 snow troopers look just so so mean. For sure, that's right. The, that's right. The Imperial walkers and stuff, and the snow speeders yeah, going around the cables. I, it's just the best. Do you have a uh, Do you have a favorite character? Favorite Star Wars character? Uh, it's hard not to love Luke. It's it's funny. That's uh, but it's actually my son's name is Luke. <laughs> okay, not, not because a, of that. I'm sure. No, it started as that as a joke because uh, yeah. I just you know went to my wife's belly of just like you know I am your oh, father kind of thing, and uh, she was like, oh, I actually kind of like that name, and it's a biblical <laughs> name. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's sure. great. Well, man, I uh, I do appreciate you spending some time with me. I don't take uh, your time for granted. I appreciate it always. Always a joy to, to connect with you. Hope to do it again real soon, hopefully in person. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast with Joe Levitt.